be honest with you, when I was preparing for this, following that was not what I was thinking through. But there's actually a little logic behind that because, you know, there are a reason that some pastors aren't senior pastors. And, and there's a simple basis of maturity. And now we kind of all see and understand that. Here we are, so good luck today. <laughs> I remember uh, I remember a few months ago when Dennis like first started talking about this. He's like, hey man, I'm gonna be out of town for a couple weeks, we're doing a vacation, doing a mission trip, let you guys do something. And we're in Chick-fil-A in a staff meeting, and literally I'm like, what is the funniest thing I can think of? It's like still like genuinely biblically based. Because I'm a youth pastor, right? And I was like, wrestling. Wrestling is real. And man, because I just read this blog that's talking about wrestling with temptation and wrestling with addiction, wrestling, and we do, don't we? We all deal with that. So then Joseph and I got together and started talking about this concept. It was actually his idea. This concept about Jacob, and now here we are. Man, when I was a little kid, I was all about wrestling. Now, I don't know about this service. In the early service, like two-thirds of the people in the room were like, ooh, wrestling. In the 80s, back in the day, who wrestling fans? Anybody? Wrestling fans? No. There were a few people like, pow. Me, I was that guy. I know, me too. My grandmother and I used to sit and love wrestling. Now, we talked about Ric Flair. This is a belt signed by Ric Flair. How about that, Cody Ruffler and Kevin Woo! And Kevin Nash. But I loved tag team wrestling. That was my favorite, like the Rock and Roll Express and like all these tag team duos. And that was the best because like me and my, my friends, my best friends, that was more fun to play when we were little. Me and my best friend Robert and then Donnie and other guys, we were like out in the backyard coming up. It was, we called it the top turnbuckle. It was actually the slide in my backyard. Coming off the top of the slide, just landing on each other. Man, that was a good time. And we look at not just this passage of scripture, but in regular life. Don't we have to rely on somebody? Isn't this a place in the world where when we've got that tag team partner that can really help us to, to dig into life, that's when everything works out best. So today's going to be a little crazy. Bad news, next week and the next week is going to be a little crazy. But man, we're going to have fun. If you don't get anything out of this today, because we're going all over the place, if you don't get anything out of this, look at this up on the screen. This is important. At some point, every believer must learn to rely on God. If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 32. Tag, here we go. So last week, you can turn me up a little hot. Last week, we talked about two characters. We talked about Jacob and Esau. Both of these men were grandsons of Abraham, and Jacob was the younger, and Esau was the older. But very early on, we noticed in the scripture that Jacob was handpicked Preordained, chosen by God. God had chose Jacob to use him as a catalyst to one day bring us his holy nation and his chosen people that we know as Israel. Now Jacob and Esau were very different. Esau was a he was a hunter, he was gruff and he was tough, and we know that Jacob was a deceiver and he was ultimately a mama's boy. And last week, uh, in the beginning of the story, we talked about how one day Esau came in from a hunt, and Esau was hungry. He was famished. And then in a time of weakness, Esau traded a bowl of beans for his birthright. He made like the worst deal in history of deals. He made a bad deal. And then later in life, we talked about how one day um, their father Isaac said, Esau, I want you to go make me a meal so that I can give you 
the blessing. But you see, Isaac was being disobedient to God because that blessing was not for Esau, but the blessing was for Jacob. And you see, Jacob, instead of trusting God, Jacob and his mom, Rebecca, decided that they would take things into their own hands. So last week we talked about how they devised a plan, and ultimately Jacob wore a fake mask, just like many wrestlers do. He wore a fake mask and a fake identity, and ultimately stole the blessing from Esau. And last week we left off with Esau coming back. And just imagine if your sister or brother had stolen something like that from you. You would be so mad. And Esau comes back and he's screaming and he's crying and he's doing all that. And he was so mad that Jacob had to go on the run for 20 years. So what I want to do is I want to set the framework for us. And so I want to catch us up so that we can dive into this text. So during those 20 years, Jacob encountered a man by the name of Laban. Laban had two daughters, Leah and Rachel. And the Bible says that Rachel was a very pretty lady, and poor Leah, the Bible says that Leah was weak on the eyes. And Jacob had an eye, that's what it says, I'm not lying. Jacob had an eye for Rachel. So Jacob goes up to Laban and says, sir, sir. I think your daughter is beautiful, and I want to marry her. So some of you guys, that's probably not the, that's probably not the first thing you should say. You should warm up first. But he just, he just get right to the point. So he says, I want to marry Rachel. Laban said, okay, you can do it, but here's the deal. You've got to work for me for seven years. Jacob said, done. He was committed. So he started working for seven years, and finally he fulfilled his, his duty. And then the time came for him to marry Rachel. And he went up to Laban, and you see what Laban did was Laban tried to deceive Jacob just like he deceived his brother. And unbeknownst to Jacob, he tried to hook him up with Leah. And then, and then Jacob's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I didn't want the ugly one. I want the pretty one. And because of Rachel's infertility, Jacob ended up having children with both of the sisters. A little bit awkward, uh, but that's just how it went. And we know that Jacob had 12 sons. Here's the cool thing about Jacob. These 12 sons would one day each represent the 12 tribes of Israel. These are the great-grandsons of Abraham, Father Abraham, who had many sons. And Jacob was the father of one of the most famous sons in all the Bible that we know, Joseph, in the coat of many colors. So you got to understand the context here. Jacob and Esau, they had been separated for 20 years. Esau, we know, was the king of a place called Edom. And one day Jacob said, hey, you know what? I haven't seen my brother in 20 years. I want to send somebody out for him. So look at chapter 32, verse 4. It says, your servant Jacob says, I have been staying with Laban and have remained there till now. I have cattle and donkeys, sheep and goats, male and female servants. Now I am sending this message to my Lord that I may find favor in your eyes. So he's sending word to Esau, and maybe he thought he wouldn't come, but Esau said, you know what? I'm going to come. And the more Jacob thought about it, he started to panic. He started to become fearful. He started to feel anxiety because, to be honest with him, he didn't know if his brother was going to give him a big hug or if he was going to give him a big knuckle sandwich the first moment he saw him. So Jacob starts to worry, and he starts to get fearful. And that sets up the story in our first point this morning, is that Jacob prayed to God. All right, so if you've got a Bible, open with me to the book of Genesis. Book of Genesis, chapter 32. 
Genesis 32, verse 9. Listen to this. Then Jacob prayed, O God, my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you said to me, go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed the Jordan, but now I have become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come back and attack me, and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper, and you will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. Isn't that fascinating? Jacob is a character because as Joseph was just talking about, he's like totally the schemer, manipulator, liar, cheat. But then you hear this prayer of his and you go, wait a minute. There's like this genuine foundation where somewhere he has totally dug in and understands who God is and what God's all about. But he can't put together the importance or the magnitude of how that plays on his own life. Man, aren't we a lot like that sometimes? And then his prayer, you get a real sense of his foundation of who he is. Man, I, I talk about prayer a lot in my ministry. We talk about prayer all the time. In fact, I put a lot of pressure, especially the older guys in our student ministry, about prayer and how prayer is important, why prayer is important, how we need to pray, being able to pray publicly. It's one of my things I want them to understand. A lot of people, and maybe you're one of these, and, and I, I need you to hear me. A lot of people say, I, 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 don't, I don't pray in public. I don't pray out loud. Do you talk about the Atlanta Braves out loud? Do you talk about your favorite football team out loud? Do you talk about hunting or fishing or camping out loud? Because if you have a passion for those things, where should your relationship with God be? And I want our students to understand that that foundation of prayer says so much. I saw the most interesting quote earlier this week. Listen to this. A funny thing about prayer. Often there is none of God's word in them because there is little of God's word in us. Did you guys catch that? Listen to it one more time. A funny thing about prayer. Often there is none of God's word in them because there is little of God's word in us. So we take a look at this passage and I actually see two things that kind of reach out to me that are neat. First, this is a prayer of thanksgiving. Did you catch this? I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. Right off the bat, he is thankful for what God has given him. I'm not sure that I'm thankful all the time. I'm not sure that we're thankful all the time for the, the power and the, the grace and the glory that God has given us. But Jacob understood, I am unworthy. And he shows his humility. So with this, I see a foundation, I see an understanding of who God really is. The second thing I note that's fascinating, that this is a prayer of faith. Faith's a different story. Being thankful is a little easier to us. But having faith, that's hard. That has to be ingrained in us. My oldest daughter, Reagan, when she was little, she was three or four years old. I can't remember. We were up in Nashville at my in-law's house. And uh, my, my stepfather, uh, stepfather, yeah, what, what, it, it is a photographer. So it, on his land, he had all these beautiful sets and things where he could take pictures in front of walls and gates. And, and one day we were outside talking, and there was this beautiful ornate gate that had a little wall. And it was totally a fake prop. 
And Landon was messing with it, and she was like getting frustrated. And I, I saw what she was doing, but I wasn't really paying that much attention. And uh, after a few minutes, she comes running over. She's like, Daddy, 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 he did it, he did it. I was like, who did what? What are you talking about? And I was like, what? She was like, he opened the gate. I was like, what, what are you talking about? And this is what she said. She said, listen, I couldn't get the gate open, and I tried, and I tried, and I tried, so I prayed. I said, God, open this gate for me. And he did. I don't know how this works. I don't know if God's up in heaven and he sits beside an angel and he's like, yo, what's this? This would be hilarious. <laughs> Maybe he does. I don't know. But I know when I talk to my children, there's excitement. There's banter. It's back and forth. It's relational. And that's exactly the way God wants to be with us. When we look at this patches of scripture, we understand that Jacob said that. There's this guy named George Mueller. It's kind of fascinating. He was a theologian. Listen to what he said. He was once asked an important question. And, and they said, what is the most important part of prayer? And he said, the first 15 minutes after you said amen. And with Jacob, he really understood what needed to happen next. Second point that we bring us to, Jacob wrestles. In your Bibles, look at verse 22. It says, That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons, and crossed the ford of Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent, them, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone. So I just want to pause here for a second, and I want you to realize what's happening. See, Jacob's got not only his family, but Jacob's got a big army. But because Jacob was so afraid that if they were all together, Esau would just come in and annihilate the whole camp, he said, you know what, here's what we're going to do. We're going to split up into two camps. Now, mind you, he doesn't just have any measly army. No, he's got the army of God. But he was worried. And I don't know if you caught that at the end of beginning of verse 24. Look at that again. It says, so Jacob was left alone. You see, if you could put yourself in that moment, Jacob's probably feeling a little bit anxious. He's probably feeling a little bit worried and his mind was racing. And he's like, hey, look, I've got to devise a plan, so I don't want anybody with me. As a matter of fact, I want to be alone. Folks, sometimes in moments of worry, hastiness, in moments of anxiety and depression, we as humans tend to seclude ourselves. When we're feeling not very good, we're feeling like a cloud of just is hanging over us. We say, you know what? I love all you guys, but I gotta go through this myself. And what we do is we push everybody away and we seclude ourselves in the corner. You see, sometimes in life, folks, the times when we seclude ourselves, when we push everybody away, are the moments when we are the most vulnerable and most susceptible to sin. And sometimes what we do is we do what Jacob does, and we push everybody away. And you see, when we're by ourselves, here what here's what happens. All it is is us and our thoughts, and we're laying there in silence. And our thoughts are screaming louder and louder. And we have to face ourselves in the mirror. 
But you see, God didn't intend it that way. God didn't want us to walk through life's toughest storms alone. God wants us to have community in life. That's why he gave us things like a church family, so that we can walk hand in hand, arm in arm, with each other through life's toughest battles. You see, Jacob, even though in the moment he wanted to seclude himself, God did not want Jacob to be alone. Look at verse 24. It says, so Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. So you got to understand here. Jacob's already paranoid, and all of a sudden he's got some man in the dark that comes up and starts wrestling with him. Now, I'm sure that if you were just walking through the store or walking through your house at night, and it was dark, and somebody just came and, like, bear-hugged you or tackled you, your first reaction would be, whoa, whoa, like, what's going on? Especially me, because I'm a scaredy cat, and you walk through this church at night in the dark, it's a pretty scary place, okay? I'll just tell you firsthand. And so he's walking, and he gets scared. But, you see, Jacob starts wrestling, and he doesn't know who he's wrestling with. So for all he knows, he's wrestling with Esau. But little did he know that he was wrestling with the pre-incarnation of Christ. He was wrestling with God, what we know to be as Jesus. So he was left alone wrestling. And the first question that we have to ask ourselves this morning is why, in the first place, were they wrestling? Why did God choose to wrestle with Jacob? And see, God will speak to many different people in many different ways. God chose to speak to Abraham through a traveler. God chose to speak to Joshua through the form of a soldier. We know one of our favorites, God chose to speak to Moses through a what? A burning bush. And you see, God can speak to you how Ever you please. And in this moment, God chose to wrestle with Jacob because he was at one of his lowest points in life. Folks, something that we all have to lean into today is that God will meet you in your mess. We all have messes in life. We all have situations that we are out of our control, things that happen, and we're just like, oh, I feel like I'm in such a mess. And sometimes what we feel like we have to do is we feel like we have to raise our standard and, and portray this false image to God. And God says, no, 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 no. He says, you don't have to do that because I will meet you where you are. I will meet you at whatever level you are on. So in your moments of anguish, I will meet you there. In your moments of fear, I will be with you. I will meet you in your moments of uncertainty and doubt. You see, what happens is he finds us in order to lift us up to where he wants to be. But the thing that we have to be aware of is that he may not always meet us in the way that we expect or the way that we desire. And you see, Jacob had talked face to face with God two other times. So this third time, I can imagine this is how, this isn't how he thought it would go. So they start wrestling, mano y mano, God and Jacob, head to head. Now, this isn't like your typical wrestling match, like, you know, five minutes on TV or, or whatever, because wrestling's tough. If you've, like, done it, like boys wrestle as kids, it's tough because you're literally using your whole body. But the scripture says they wrestled till daybreak. So basically from the time it got dark and you go to sleep to the time it was ready to get up and the sun came out. So they were wrestling all night long. And I begin to think about this, this story. And I begin to ask myself, why did they wrestle for so long. 
You see, at first, Jacob was under the impression that he was fighting for protection. He just thought he was protecting himself from some stranger, and he was fighting for his life. But somewhere during the match, he realized, whoa, I'm not just going up against any, any old guy. I'm going up against a different being. And somewhere along the line, he realized what was happening. He realized that he was wrestling with God himself. And in that moment, he wasn't wrestling for physical protection. He was wrestling because he didn't want to surrender. He was wrestling because he ultimately didn't want to give up to God's will. And he didn't want to give up control. So Jacob and God... They're in a stalemate, going back and forth. God's got a hold of Jacob. Jacob's got a hold of God. See, folks, we do this so many times in life. We get in a stalemate wrestling match with God. We try to be all tough. We're like, God, I know you're pulling me this way. I know your will's like, I can feel it. But God, I'm not going to be weak. I'm not going to tap out. And we're fighting and fighting and holding on and holding on. And in the meantime... God is working in the upper story. He's like, man, you don't even get it. And this whole time you're wrestling with your situations. You're wrestling with your fear. And God is in the process of pruning, refining us, squeezing out all the bad. And through this night of wrestling, inch by inch, moment by moment, Jacob's life was transforming before our very eyes. You see, this wrestling match, it was a milestone for Jacob. It was a turning point because through Jacob's struggle came transformation. The longer the match went, the closer Jacob got to God. The maturity began to set in. The growth began to take place. And let me tell you, folks, sometimes when we wrestle with God, it's not easy. It's painful because when you squeeze out an infection, it hurts. It hurts. But in the end, when you get the infection out, it feels so much better. And Jacob was going through a spiritual detox, but it required patience. See, folks, you cannot microwave maturity. It doesn't happen just overnight. As a chef, they put the ingredients in the cake, and then they got to put the cake in the oven and let it bake because maturity takes time. So we see this stalemate. We see wrestling. And folks, some of you today are wrestling with God. Maybe your situations are different. Maybe you're like, you know what, there's a situation going on with uh, me and my spouse that's just out of our control. We just don't know what to do. Maybe some of you today, you're wrestling with fear. You're wrestling with constantly feeling anxious. You're wrestling with peer pressure. You're wrestling with putting God first in your life. Some of you today, you say... You know what, Joseph, to be perfectly honest, me and God are not on speaking terms right now. Because nobody knows how I'm really feeling. And you don't know what God let happen to my friend or my family member or to me. And if we're being perfectly clear, Joseph, I'm not happy with God and I ain't speaking to him right now. I am upset with him. Friend, I want to tell you in all honesty, God can handle it. We're wrestling, and we're wrestling. And in the meantime, God is saying, hey, I'm here. I see what you're doing. You're playing a spiritual game of tug of war. 
You're pulling your fleshly will. You're pulling toward your will. And God's like, hey, this is my will. This is my good and perfect way. And we're fighting and we're pulling. But God, in the meantime, he's saying, it's fine because you know why? I'm a patient God. I will wait and I will wait. If you need to wrestle, that's fine. You do your business. I will stand with you. I will put my arm around you. I will allow you to wrestle. I will wait and wait and wait until you are ready. Because I'm patient. Jacob was wrestling. So Jacob fought and he fought and he fought until finally God said, enough is enough. This match has to end. Look at verse 25. It says, when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. This brings us to our third point this morning. Jacob submits to God. You know, the interesting thing is that we all do it, and we just like that. There all comes there comes this time when it has to stop. Look at this in verse 26. Genesis 32, verse 26. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Do you guys see what's going on here? They've been wrestling all that long, and Jacob's not going to give up. He's just going and going. He knows he's defeated, and he's bartering with God. Come on, God. I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me. And don't we do the same thing? Whatever that thing is in our life that we're wrestling, we just hold on, don't we? We just hold on for dear life, kind of hoping for the best. But in this situation, we know it's over. And we do too in our lives. Now, I will tell you a little bit of a side note. If you're in a place in life, you know, holding on to God for all you can isn't necessarily a bad thing. But at some point, you've got to let go, listen to the instructions, submit to his will, and move on in a different direction. That's where we mess up. Do you remember he's basically answered his prayer in verse 11? Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau. For I am afraid that he will come and attack me. See, God is just letting Jacob wrestle. It is over with. The man, God, God, the man, let Jacob know this isn't going on. And even though Jacob clung to him desperately, Jacob has lost. And he's been reduced to this place where he can't go any further. So I don't know about you or me, but we've got to understand in our lives, just like Jacob, that the real enemy isn't Esau. The real enemy isn't our temptation. The real ministry isn't our addiction. The real ministry isn't anything on the outside. The real enemy, oftentimes, most of the time, is us. It is literally what's in us, and until we submit, there's no way we can move on. When I look at my ministry, where I came in from in ministry, it is a perfect illustration of me just kind of holding on and hoping for the best. For years before God called me into ministry, I knew what God wanted. I knew the direction God wanted me to go in. And I ran. I hid. I avoided it like the plague. I don't know. I, I wanted to be a rock star, I guess. I wanted to be a professional musician. That made sense in my mind. But God had other plans. I met this, this minister. His name was Dirk. And he was in this little church. I mean, literally. It was out in the middle of nowhere. South of Rome, out past Pepple, it's this little community called Wax. And where Wax is, you go until the earth falls off and it's right there on the left. You can't miss it. 
It is out in the middle of nowhere. And this guy, Dirk, was in this little church that was so healthy and so exciting. But he was doing music, and he was preaching as well. And we became friends, really close friends, and he just beat me down. He's like, okay, come check out the choir. Maybe you can do something with them. So I came to a choir practice on a Sunday. It was bad. I mean, it was bad. I had no idea what I was doing, but I was like, I can do better than that. So I said, Derek, you just go to your office. We'll figure something out. There were only like seven of them in the choir. But man, we had so much fun. And the next thing I knew, I'm like leading worship on Sunday morning. I will never forget this. I'm in, I mean, I'm leading worship on a Sunday morning, and my wife is sitting over there. We can't look at each other because she's sitting over there going, it was terrible. I mean, it was absolutely terrible. But now when I look back on it, it made all the sense in the world. God had been working, working, working. I was holding on, no, God, this is not what I want to do. So a few months into it, or a couple months into it, Dirk comes in one day, and he brings me this box of business cards. He's like, hey, man, I got you some cards. I said, what are you talking about? I got these cards. I looked at it. Wax Baptist Church. Our little tag, tagline was putting sunshine, S-O-N, putting sunshine in your soul. Not put uh, a words. Uh, there is sunshine in my soul today. That was our little song we sang all the time. And I was like, no, no, I'm not doing this. God isn't calling me to be a minister. So, like, we had this argument, and we knew he was, but I was fighting. So it's like, okay, we'll put these cards away, and eventually you'll, you'll, you'll want these someday. And then I prayed about it. I really did. I struggled. I didn't want it. God didn't want it. And I was just holding on, holding on, holding on. So a few months later, we're, we go down to the Georgia Baptist Convention. It's like three or four days. It was in Savannah. And, and can I just be honest? Dirk was like my buddy, and there were like a bunch of fun guys in the church going. I was like, man, we're going to Savannah for three or four days. This was great. But we got there, and, and I want, seriously, I was really praying, God, what do you want from me? What's the direction of it? Where do I need to be doing? And man, it was so awesome. And it's not that it was like an emotional feeling kind of thing. It was this just jam-packed week of prayer and discovery. And it all kind of culminated in this one worship service. There was this pastor. I wish I had a picture of him, but I didn't put one up there. His name was David Ring, and he was really big back in the, uh, the 80s and the 90s. He had cerebral palsy, and he was this, this magnificent speaker. And he was preaching this sermon. And to be brutally honest with you, I don't know much about the actual sermon because I was so engrossed with prayer, and I, I honestly believe God was really, really speaking to me. And I'm arguing with God literally. like, God, I, I can't do this. I don't know how to do this. I don't understand what it means and how it works to stand on a, on a stage and lead people in worship, bring them before the throne of God. I, I don't get it. And during all that, there was this one thing that stuck out to me. And this is what, Dave, what, uh, what he said. He said, David said, fear not. It's from Isaiah 40, 41. Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will protect you. I will hold you up with my righteous right hand. It was like a ton of bricks hit me. It's like, oh, I don't have to do it. I'm going to bumble through the part on the stage. But if you're there first and, and, and I'm focusing more on you than the people in the room, then all that changes. And for the first time in my life, I, instead of just holding on, hoping for the best, I was able to let go and say, okay, let's see what happens. We haven't looked back since then. Ministry's come and gone. There's, there's been high points. There's been low points. Let me tell you, there's been low points. But turning loose and just saying, okay, God, I, I'm available, and it clicked, and actually submitting to what God said, 
that's when everything changed. And just like that prayer, the foundation was there. All I had to do was submit to what God said. Now, you have to remember back in the very, very beginning of this, that all goes back to this. At some point, every believer must learn to rely on God. <laughs> One of my favorite parts of this passage is we see Jacob's hip get ripped out of its socket, and God delivers the final blow. Look what verse 32 says. It says, Therefore to this day the Israelites did not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. You see, folks, for the rest of Jacob's life, he walked with a limp. In order to be reminded to never pull away from God's will. As a reminder that God would never leave him in his darkest moments. In his lowest of lows. God gave him that limp to remind him daily that I am with you. See folks, the Lord cannot fully bless a man until he has conquered him. And Jacob had been conquered. By God. This limp was a gift. And to be honest with you, God will give us scars. He will give us limps in our own lives so that we too can be reminded to never fight the will of God. You see, when we talk about submit, it's not that we're, we're pulling and we're pulling and we're like, okay, I give up. I give up. No, no, it's not like that. God doesn't want us just to give up to his will. He wants us to get into his will. He doesn't want to just let go, but he wants us to pull with his will. And you see, there's a difference because life and society has told us, hey, don't tap out. Don't quit. Don't quit. Real men don't quit. Friend, let me tell you, there comes a day when the boy has to sit down and the man has to stand up and say, God, I submit. I'm not just giving up, but I'm giving in. Folks, maybe you have some of those scars today. And if we can all be honest with ourselves for a moment, each of us wrestle. I wrestle. You have things you wrestle. Every person that works at this church has things in life that they wrestle with. But you see, there comes a moment in each of our lives where sometimes we've got to get down on bended knee before an almighty God and say, God, I don't know where to go. God, I don't know what to do and I sure don't have anything to give. But God, I'm tired of wrestling. I'm tired of fighting. God, as for me and my house, we submit. We serve you. Folks, I challenge you today. Whatever it is that you're wrestling with, if it's fear, if it's worry, this is uncertainty. Would you give it to God today? Here in a moment, we're going to have a time of commitment. Maybe some of you, the first step of submission is saying, hey, I'm not running anymore. I'm like Jacob. I've been on the run all my life. As a matter of fact, I need a salvation experience. I need to meet this Jesus for the first time. And if that's you, friend, the Bible says that any man who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
And if that's you, I, I beg you to come forward. I'd love to talk with you about how you can submit to God and allow Christ to take over your life. For some of you, your wrestling may look a little bit different. Maybe some of you husbands need to go grab your wives and you say, hey, you know what? We've got some stuff in our life that we're wrestling with, some just real life stuff, and we don't know what to do. And if that's you, some of you, I challenge you today. Come get in the altar and allow God to speak. Because sometimes we need to say, God, I'm going to plant myself on my knees and I'm not moving until you speak to me. Maybe some of you need to grab a son or a daughter. And just say, hey, I just want to make sure we're all on the same page here. We as a family are going to submit to God. So folks, today, may we stop wrestling and may we submit. Would you pray with me?